Hello and welcome to the Asimov cast. Short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Glossy. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Asimovcast or email me at asimovcast at gmail.com. This week we'll be covering the stories Robot AL76 Goes Astray and Victory Unintentional. The first story this week is Robot AL-76 Goes Astray. Um, I'm just going to call this AL-76 going forward. Uh, this was first published in 1942 in the February issue of Amazing Stories. The story starts with a human panic. Six robots were sent out, but only five arrived. Uh, the robots were designed to operate a device called a Desinto on the moon. Um, presumably this is some form of a disintegrator. Not only is it illegal for a robot to operate outside of a factory on Earth, but this one will be getting a load of sense impressions that it won't understand, given its lunar intention. So the word goes out within the company, get that robot and get it fast. AL-76 is indeed confused. There's green underfoot, which is grass, shafts of brown everywhere, trees, and worst of all, the sky is blue. There's no rocky surface. When he comes across people, they're not wearing spacesuits, and they run away from him, apart from one person who tries to shoot him. He stumbles over the shack of a tinkerer called Randolph Payne in the forest. Randolph doesn't run away, although he is scared, and AL-76 starts to quiz him on why everything is wrong, and where his research station is, and where his disinto is. Randolph realises that AL-76, or Al as he names him, should be on the moon. Immediately he thinks there might be a reward if he can keep Al occupied until he can call the company and they come pick him up. He lies to Al that he's in contact with the senior executives of the company and that they want him to stay there for secret government stuff. Al, on the other hand, wants to work and needs to work. His need to work is in fact so strong that he starts building a Decinto there and then Payne has everything he needs, apparently, from the junk in his shack. Al starts building the Decinto, and meanwhile Payne calls the company. A few confusions later, between a man looking for Payne to fix his toaster, and an overzealous sheriff's department, and a whole county's worth of men with guns, are summoned to avenge Payne, and his presumed widow is there to check the insurance policy as well. Payne is very much not dead, but he's just looking to take photos of Al to prove that he's there. Meanwhile, Al is making his Decinto with many improvements on the original. Just as the sheriff and his deputies are about to fire, Al turns the Decinto on, vaporising 75 trees, two barns, three cows, and the top two-thirds of a local mountain. The posse flee as quickly as they can. Pain in his horror orders Al to destroy the Decinto and to forget about it and everything as he speeds away. Al, following human orders, does so. The company finally arrives to collect Al, but having been told to forget everything that happened, he's of little use to them. They realise to their horror not what he made, but what he destroyed. An incredibly efficient Decinto that ran off only a couple of flashlight batteries. The things that inspired me or made me think about this, um, this will probably be a topic that we address a few times. Um, AL76 is gendered he... Um, from the beginning, in his own thoughts, um, within the context of the story, uh, Asimov has this tendency to gender robots and generally to gender them as male. Um, 
I'm not quite sure what that says about him. We had earlier in um, Sally that uh, the Cadillacs with their, um, and the convertibles, I should say, with their tops down were women. But all pretty much all other uh, robots that we've come across at this point have been male. Uh, there is, in general, a lack of women across all of these stories. Uh, again, you know, we we can re- we can view back on when Asimov was writing and what what he was expecting to uh, to hit there, but it is notable and it is definitely a lack um, in the fiction of the stories. Um, Al needs to work. Um, I think it's very interesting how he's been programmed to need to work effectively so he can't rest even though he's extremely uncomfortable uh in the senses and the gravity and the trees and grass and air and sky of earth having been built for mars mars sorry for the moon um it's uh it's his desire to work that sort of stabilizes and satisfies him uh yeah, I mean, uh, what's the point of us, of humans, building robots if it's not to take work off us? But um, the anthropomorphization of robots in these stories and the personality that it gives them does make it hard to be satisfied with a robot who is only satisfied by work. Um, again, uh, we also have a civilization where we can go to the moon, we can build factories, but everyone needs to have guns uh where i found joy in this story um al's improvisation improvements are quite impressive um you know he has access to a box of tricks uh that um that a tinkerer has in a shack and is able to build something immediately far more impressive and far more efficient and effective than his human masters uh had previously been able to achieve it brings to mind to me the uh the line from iron man one of tony stark made this in a cave with a box of scraps that is very much what al is achieving in this story our second story is victory unintentional uh this was first published in august 1942 in super science stories uh, a spaceship is journeying from Ganymede to Jupiter. It's open to space with hard vacuum throughout and a near absolute zero temperature. It slowly spirals down to land on a Jovian island, uh, albeit one that is several times the size of Asia. Uh, they're not human uh, passengers, nor Jovian passengers, but rather robots designed on Earth to operate on Jupiter. The robots are called ZZ3, ZZ2, and ZZ1. Um, personally, I don't know why I just call them ZZ and not ZZ. Um, we'll inspect that later. Uh, they emerge and spy structures in the distance. They decide to wait for the locals to come to them. The locals indeed do come. Uh, they come in vessels and immediately start to attack the robots with heat rays, with electrical beams, and with chemical weapons. Uh, the attacks have basically no impact on the robots who struggle to understand even that they are under attack certainly not why they note they were warned of the likely hostility of the locals but uh given the limited impact of the weapons they just decide to return to the ship and wait the locals come to attack the ship the robots are as nonplussed as they were when the attacks were with them 
and they sit quietly, invincible. I'll wait for someone to come and talk to them. Eventually a translator arrives and demands to know their origins. Ganymede, um, but originally from Earth, the Jovians are extremely hostile and arrogant, and they refuse to accept the existence of any celestial bodies but Jupiter, the Sun, and the four moons of Jupiter. Uh, this is presumably the, the Galilean moons of Ganymede, Io, Europa, and Callisto, which would be the bright ones in the sky. They consider the humans to be lower intelligence vermin, and have sworn to wipe them out. Uh, while the Jovians have limited technology, they have massive amounts of resource and population, and should they be able to develop force fields, as humans have, to allow them to travel off-world, they would overrun the system. The Jovians order the robots to leave, but the robots remain and call their bluff. Again, this is sort of a theme throughout the story. The Jovians decide to invite the robots to see around their local small town, uh, which has over 10 million people, or Jovians, I should say, in it, and to try and wow them with the technology that they have to scare them. Meanwhile, ZZ-1, the youngest of the three robots, decides to go into a local ammonia lake in search of a fish. He's attacked by a local monster, but is unharmed and drags it to land. They enter the large underground town and realise the population of Jupiter must be in the trillions. Two government officials demand to speak with them and um, explain that they are very confused by how the robots do not possess a, a mass organ. Uh, effectively, the Jovians see uh, via gravity rather than via, via the electromagnetic waves that uh, humans or, or these robots would see. They show off their tech to try and impress and intimidate the robots, but the robots aren't very impressed. They explore the high heat forges which they can withstand, but the Jovians can't. And finally, they push and push and are shown a force field, which is a powerful one that could contain Jovian atmosphere. The robots know that with the vast resources and population of Jupiter, if the locals have force fields sooner rather than later, they will be able to make short work of the humans. In bragging, however, the Jovians ask about the robot ship and are horrified to understand that it doesn't have force fields, it doesn't need force fields. It doesn't need to contain atmosphere as the robots don't breathe, it doesn't need to uh, keep the temperature up and warm as the robots are unaffected by the absolute zero of space. The Jovians immediately have their superiority complex shattered um, and in, in the face of a an enemy or a, or a perceived enemy that um, has capabilities that they just cannot comprehend. Uh, they recount their warlike ways um, they, and they promise eternal peace. The robots are somewhat taken aback and prepared to depart, reflecting on the fact that they never told the Jovians they weren't human and the Jovians must have just made that assumption. Uh, things that inspired me or made me think. Um, so there's some good sort of physics stuff in here. Um, the vacuum and absolute zero that robots can uh, survive in. Certainly the vacuum that they don't need to breathe. Uh, well, implicitly it implies... Implicitly that implies... Uh, I presume that means there is no liquid in in their uh, processing. is is solid. Um the fact that they are unaffected by ab near absolute zero is slightly surprising. I would have thought that would have some impact on their metal, but uh, that it is what it is. I like the fact that the the um, 
Jovians were only aware of the Galilean moons and what you could see from the surface of Jupiter. Um, obviously, Jupiter has many, many moons, but um, perhaps the l reflection of light that far away and the nature of the clouds that surround them are such that you would they, their astronomers, as it were, would only be aware of the biggest of those moons. Um, their hostility to all other life is um, sad, but I guess entirely believable and predictable. Um, I think the most interesting thing was this idea of seeing via gravity. If we consider sort of the five key forces of the world, of the universe, I should say, um, and the fact that human beings experienced experience sight uh, through electromagnetic radiation, it um, it is. I suppose it makes sense. It's interesting that the idea that you might be able to perceive uh, other life forms or other things via not the reflection of sunlight, particularly if you are in a Jovian atmosphere and have a lot of sunlight um, uh, prevented from reaching the surface, but that you would see as a reflection of mass and pressure. Where I found joy... Um, Honestly, the the Jovians are extraordinarily arrogant and aggressive. So seeing them have their fall after their initial pride is satisfying. Um, ZZ1 is nicely childlike. I kind of like the inversion that it's ZZ3 that's the oldest and ZZ1 that's the youngest. Um, and then there are lots of chemistry and physics notes about how things would react and occur in the pressure of a Jovian atmosphere. So, a fun story. Uh, it's a little silly in places, uh, but nonetheless enjoyable. And thank you for joining me. You can find me at Mean Englishman on Twitter. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Asimovcast. The theme music is courtesy of Alexei Chistillon from Pixabay. Please email your thoughts, what inspires you, and where you find joy in Asimov to asimovcast at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be covering Stranger in Paradise and Lightverse. Go now. Do not harm humanity or, by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm.